Good evening, everyone. Dr. Mike, are you on the line? Sorry, TJ, nobody here but us mice. <laughs> well, very good. We'll wait just a few more minutes. I know Dr. Mike will be calling in. Um, just to give everyone an overview of what we're going to accomplish this evening, Dr. Mike's going to open up the conversation for the first 20 to 30 minutes um, for any questions anyone has this week uh, on case selection, um, as we do each week. And then from, we're going to talk a little bit about how, with the remaining time, how this fits into uh, Animal General in Pittsburgh and how Dr. Mike has kind of incorporated this into his practice with just a kind of informal question and answer session that uh, we're going to open up to the group as well. Um, let's see, just waiting for a few more minutes here. Hello, this is Dr. Mike Thomas. Are you there? Hey, Dr. Mike. How are you? I'm good. Sorry, I was having a little trouble logging in, so some other people might be having the same trouble. No, no problem. We just gave kind of an introduction of, of what we're going to do this evening. So um, with the first 30 minutes, we're just going to open it up to questions and answers on case selection, as we've been doing. Um, for the remainder of the time, we're going to kind of just have an informal question and answer session talking about how it's been incorporated into Animal General. Um, and, and then we'll kind of go from there. But um, my name is Thomas Masterson. I run the sales department with the MediVet corporate headquarters. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and turn it over to Dr. Mike. So if anyone has those case questions, you know, feel free, please. Tom, did you receive any uh, questions? I know you sent some to me the other day, and I, I thought they'd be great questions for the webinar. I'm not on the web right now. I'm just on the phone, so I don't have them I did. in front I'll of me. One off. All right, great. All right, so this is a question from a, a veterinarian in Colorado. Um, I'm going to review kind of the abbreviated version here. Um, Uh, the major question here, a few questions I have for you, is there a significant inflammatory reaction after the injection into the joints, meaning the stem cell injections, or is it activity of the stem cells leading to an increased joint effusion, but not technically inflammation? This may be all the semantics, but I am curious. Also, the owner was wondering regarding compassionate use, as I had the results with allergies, if there was a heritable problem in the pet, wouldn't it make sense that these stem cells we are trying to use to resolve the problem would carry the same defect and not likely resolve the issue, but possibly perpetuate or exacerbate the problem? So I think two-part question there, Dr. Mike. All right. I, I do my best to answer the second part. I, it's an educated guess. But then the, the first part, do we cause inflammation when we inject these in? We do, because when we inject that stromal vascular fraction, 
there are still some red blood cells that are in it. We're not lysing out or separating out the red blood cells because this is an autologous therapy and we don't have to worry about reactions. So because of that, it, we, we may be causing that inflammatory cascade to take off right after those injections, so they may be pretty painful. That's why I routinely use NSAIDs um, post-intraarticular injections. I generally recommend them for a few days. Um, some dogs need them a little bit longer, but traditionally by the second or third day in most of these animals, the real potent anti-inflammatory effect of the cytokines, the anti-interleukin-1 receptor antibody, and different bioactive peptides that are in there that are, are potent anti-inflammatory um, chemokines and, and uh, interleukins and the like will take over for us. Now, what about these dogs that I've had on um, non-steroidals for a long time and we're trying to get them off non-steroidals? I get that question all the time. The, that's what I do. I, I, the whole idea for me is to decrease pain. I mean, clinically, at the end of the day, that's what I'm really trying to do for these animals because that improves their existence. We decrease the pain and their range of motion gets better, their flexibility gets better in a lot of these dogs, and we can decrease the non-steroidals that they're on. I generally continue all the other recommendations, all the nutraceuticals. If I'm doing joint supplements, I continue them. I'm a big fan of omega-3 fatty acids, the anti-inflammatory effect they impose or impart on these animals. And, the, um, and anything that you're doing with weight loss or hydrotherapy, physical therapy, all of those things I like. Laser therapy, six weeks post-stem cell treatment. I don't recommend, we still don't know how that affects the stem cells when we inject the uh, microenvironment, that damaged microenvironment of the joint when we have degenerative joint disease. When we apply laser and stem cells at the same time, we may be reducing the effect of the stem cells. We don't know yet. So uh, we're trying to stick with what we do know. We do know that the stem cells help dramatically. We believe that's the gold therapy, so I don't recommend doing any of the um, laser therapy for six weeks, and that's coming from some really, really smart researchers. And the research is being done. We might change that recommendation down the road, but so far we don't have any evidence to support doing laser for the initial six weeks after that. So, yes, I do expect long or short answer. I do expect to have pain after the injection. Now, going to that with inheritable disease and compassionate use, if you have an allergy and they're thinking it might be an inheritable disease, I guess he's, uh, he or she's referring to like a Westie you know, West Highland Terrier that gets those inheritable skin conditions. Um, are we just passing on the same gene defect in the stem cell? Well, the stem cells are repair cells. They're a blank slate. So they'll differentiate into whatever's needed. So um, my understanding is about 4,000 single gene defects in humans. I don't know how many there are in dogs. I happen to have read that one time recently about because we're talking about going in and doing gene therapy and we're doing stem cell therapy, and nanotechnology, and I think those are the big three that are coming along. And, and in gene therapy, they're literally snipping the DNA with an enzyme and replacing the defective gene. They're doing it in, in the laboratory animals right now, and they found a procedure that can make that very, very simple. And so as I was reading that article, they were talking about the 4,000 single gene defects in, in humans, things like sickle cell anemia is a single gene effect, a defect. So I don't know that these inheritable diseases are in all of these um, these uh, animal cells. We just know that they're, um, these stem cells are blank slate and we can give them. And they have other effects that may help the, the dog, which is a potent immunosuppressive effect. That is a good effect if we have some of these allergies in animals. Um, I'm a big fan of the response. Well, we're getting a, such a good response on these um, atopy animals 
that I'm a big fan of the use of stem cells for that, and we're still calling it compassionate use as we reach out to more and more veterinarians that are using this technology and we get more and more data, um, we may just be considering that a treatment just like osteoarthritis. And uh, it just may be another um, treatment that we'll have for these atopy dogs. And, uh, and if we're banking cells when they're young, when we're spaying and neutering these pets, then we could turn around and, and to have these cells available if they ever have that. And so far, the three insurance companies that I know of, at least in my practice, three separate insurance companies, have covered the stem cell procedures for my clients. One of them is the Pet Plan USA. They cover it. And if you, on insurancereview.com, they seem to be the number one ranked um, insurance company, pet insurance company, so far for the last three or four years um, on petinsurancereview.com. And they, so Pet Plan has been covering it. We've also had the Purina Plan cover it. And we've also had the Petcos around us have their own plan. I forget the name of it. I think it's out of Canada. I think it's Canadian plan. I'm not positive, but. Um, their plan covered it too. So it's, it's getting um, more likely that insurance companies will cover it if it's not pre-existing and we um, are using stem cells as, as the treatments. And I think that's pretty neat. So just good news I wanted to pass along. Did I cover? I covered both those questions. He asked about the compassionate use yes, and the inheritable disease. So I don't know the real answer to that. We can speculate. My theory, educated guess, is that yes, it will help. And no, we're not going to have to worry about the stem cells being devoid of the same genes so we can't use them, which would imply that the allogeneic stem cells would be a better treatment for that. Maybe down the road we'll find that out, but when we inject the stromovascular fraction, we're injecting a, a buffet, if you will, of bioactive factors and, and, uh, and, you know, these stem cells along with all these other cell types and progenitor cells that are secreting chemokines, exosomes, cytokines that are... Um, there's so many, and they interact. They work in they work in harmony, and thank God we don't have to direct them. They direct themselves. They're kind of like the uh, the general contractor in there when they're doing things. We just inject them into the area, and they do their job, and uh, and they they seem to work in harmony. They're learning a lot more about the different fractions, and as we're showing that our stem cell procedure, the the Metavet stem cell procedure, is has blown away the competition, and, uh, and I can say that now because it's science. has blown away the competition in terms of um, our, our procedure, our technology, and what we're doing in, in uh, um, secretions in, as far as the science. There's no other science out there that I've seen that, that is reproducible that will show what our cells are doing, and, and I think that's just because of the great technology. Thank you, Dr. Mike. And just as a note here, someone had typed in True Panning, I think is the name of that Petco plan. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. That's it. Nice. <laughs> yes, they were. They covered it in my practice, too. So um, I'm telling my clients that now when they ask me, um, you know, they'll ask, should we do this? We're, we're actually in our practice recommending Pet Plan because that got the number one rating, and they seem to cover a lot of things. I mean, some of you might have experiences that you could share with me that you may not like them. I haven't had that yet. So I'm, I'm suspect of all of the insurance companies, to be quite honest, I've been doing this a long time, but the uh, and I used to be an ER doctor for five and a half years of my career, and I'm, I'm very suspect of a lot of the insurance companies, but I do think they're getting better. You haven't looked at them in a while. Next question comes from online, and we may need some more case details on this animal. Looks like a tough case. Um, looks like a cocker spaniel, uh, four-year-old suffering from polyarthritis, uh, also has heart disease and has a history of seizures. Uh, and a question: Is this a good case? Um, hmm. Your thoughts on that, Dr. Mike? Yeah, the well, you know, you, you're mentioning 
a couple things. Compassionately, there's a lot of studies, and I know that everybody's starting to read about stem cells now. There's a lot of studies out there that are supporting the use of stem cells in, in heart disease in humans around the world. So there's a lot of evidence that it's helping. A lot of cardiologists believe that it helps. It certainly isn't doing any harm, number one. So if I were doing a, a, an animal with comorbidities, heart disease would be one if I felt that it was safe to collect the fat that I wouldn't mind treating. I wouldn't mind seeing if we got a positive effect. I certainly wouldn't make a claim about that, but I'd like to see if we get a positive effect. So polyarthritis, if it's immune-mediated polyarthritis, which is like the RA in people, the rheumatoid arthritis in people, um, I've had very good success with those. I encourage you to treat those dogs. Um, we've had three um, euthanasia cases. They were last resort cases on these um, immune-mediated polyarthritis. All three of those dogs are, are, are alive and, and uh, doing well. We have to repeat injections now, um, and typically we're doing it in a year. And uh, but I'm, you know, repeating them in a year. I'd say that's that's the average. So it's nice to bank cells and to get extra cells so down the road we can inject them again. And maybe there's a better protocol. Maybe if we do, you know, one and repeat it in 14 or 30 days, we'll get a longer effect. I don't know. Um, we haven't really figured that out yet, but we are getting a very promising effect. And I think it is that, that dual action that we're getting this, you know, potent immunosuppressive effect, which seems to work very well on these polyarthritis cases. I really like it. So... Um, and do I inject every joint? No. I try to inject the most painful joints, but I had dogs that I would have been injecting every joint in their body if I, um, you know, if I wanted to because I could elicit pain in just about every joint in this one dog. And I just injected the, the hips, the stifles, and the elbows. I didn't inject any of the other joints. I could have done the shoulders. I could have done the carpi. I could have done the hocks. I just did the hips, the stifles, and the shoulder or the uh, elbows and, uh, and then gave IV. And that dog did extremely well. Um, now, what about, okay, so polyarthritis and heart failure, yes. Now, where you have me is on the seizure. I don't know. Um, Cocker Spaniel, American Cocker Spaniel, whatever, I start thinking about a lot of things when I hear seizures. I mean, way past epilepsy. Epilepsy, I, I guess I wouldn't be worried because we can pretty much rule out a tumor if we've diagnosed it with epilepsy. And so as long as I've ruled out a tumor, I'm not going to make any claims with seizures, but I wouldn't. I can't think of anything that would be contraindicated for treating that dog with stem cells. However, if it were a tumor, we could end up um, increasing the um, vasculogenesis, if you will, and increase the, um, you know, with the vascular endothelial growth factor and the secretions that we get from some of these um, stem cells and, and uh, stromal vascular fraction that would, and, and also in that stromal vascular fraction, we have endothelial progenitor cells that could start increasing vasculogenesis to a tumor, we don't want to do that. So I'd be very cautious about that. And then there are some enzyme deficiencies in some of these dogs that cause seizures. And uh, there was some work that I was involved in years ago. Um, I wasn't doing it with the University of Pennsylvania, but we used to send the test down there. And uh, and we were you know, we were checking a lot of American Cocker Spaniels, and, and uh, we were finding some enzyme deficiencies in some of these dogs, and they had a number of issues. And one of them was seizures. Others, you've heard about the, you know, hemolytic anemias, the autoimmune hemolytic anemias, and things like that. So as long as it's non-cancerous, um, I don't think it would do any harm, but there's some work that you have to do, and you're right, uh, Tom, I, I would have to have more information on that case. Looks like uh, we got another message here uh, to kind of follow up on that case. So it's believed that the seizures are due to the lack of oxygen uh, due to the heart disease itself is, is what is typed in here on the on the message box. So. 
uh, maybe we'll get some more details over to you after the conversation in an email. Oh, okay. Well, if that, if that were um, what they suspect the seizures are being caused by hypoxic crises, that, that's different. I didn't think of that. Um, they said a four-and-a-half-year-old cocker spaniel, and I didn't think of that. I usually think of that when they're older, but um, certainly a possibility. You know, they could be having many strokes, too. So it's, uh, we didn't used to think that was common in these dogs, and now that they're doing a lot of MRIs, we're finding out that it is very common. So um, one of those things that uh, uh, were illuminated with the advent of the MRIs, you know, becoming more commonplace in our in our um, veterinary field. Very good. So we'll open up the forum um, over the phone. If, if anyone wants to speak up and, and ask any questions, um, feel free to do so. We are getting some questions online as well. So. Uh, we'll just take some time here and, and take a little break and let someone jump in if they like. Dr. Mike? Yes. Hey, Larry Kovac, Kansas City. Hi, um, Larry. I poured you some radiographs. I don't know if you had a chance to look at them, but I've got a seven-year-old shepherd, uh, hip dysplasia, with arthritis, and he eats stifle also. My question, owner, money is not an option here. Um, owner says, I want the best combination of treatment. He's been presented with bilateral uh, hip replacement. My question in, uh, in, in the money is not an option. Uh, would you go strictly stem cell on this or do the hip, hip replacement and treat the stifles also? Okay, I did see those x-rays and, and uh, I, for, I only got the one view of the hips, and, and it looked to me like the sockets were pretty deep. It looked more like degenerative joint disease, but that was hip dysplasia. Right. Okay, you know the doctor. Well, that's what, that's what my colleague diagnosed. I, 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 when I looked at him, I told the owner that I also thought the sockets were fairly deep and that this, we've got some uh, significant arthritis going on. Yeah, I, and, I think uh, that I, that's what I saw in the x-rays was severe degenerative joint disease because it, it looked like the heads were not malformed in the Sockets were pretty deep, right. and for German Shepherd, that was pretty impressive. But so, I guess here, here's my my answer is twofold. I, I'm starting. Dr. Tom Newland and I were talking about this last week, and Dr. Tom's out in Arizona. He's done a lot of cases, a lot of stem cell cases, and we're both starting to feel the same way. And I know there's other veterinarians I speak to, Dr. Brian Voynich, and and uh, some other veterinarians that are doing a lot of these cases, where we're starting to change our attitude about hip dysplasia as far as I've always said and I still maintain that the gold therapy for hip dysplasia, for true hip dysplasia in a dog that's extremely painful, would be the bilateral hip replacement. Because in my experience, when they've gone through those and didn't have complications, which most of them did not, I'd say 90% of them did not, um, those dogs did great for the rest of their life on their hips and that's been my experience. Now I've had complications when you know, the other surgeons have done it and I'm sure we've all seen them if you've been around long enough. but the, uh, but they do so well, even when they're 15, 16. I had dogs that went up to their 16s, and they didn't have any problems with their hips, and I was just incredibly impressed. So I still weigh heavily towards that as being probably the gold therapy, if people can afford it. But I've had a lot of cases, over 14, I just did another one, so I guess I'm on 15, where we're treating hip dysplasia as a trial to see if they're going to need the hip replacement. And similarly to your situation, the owners may be able to afford it in some of these. The last case, this owner said, well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to spend $12,000 if I don't have to. Could we try the stem cells? And, hey, wouldn't we be able to use these stem cells for something else down the road? I said, possibly. 
and maybe even other joints. So they wanted to collect the stem cells and try it, and I think it was a great move. That dog um, that I did, I, it was, I don't know, it might have even been 10 days ago. I can't remember. I have to look at the chart, but it was within the last couple of weeks. Um, they already called the practice and said the dog's exhibiting that anti-inflammatory effect I told them about. I said the repair really won't start for 20 to 60 days, you know, where we see, um, hopefully, we may not see it, but hopefully that where they're actually getting repair. So I'm excited as long as we have bank doses. Now, what if you get one of those dogs, which I've had once in a while, you get one where you take 40 grams of fat and you end up with two bank doses. Is that going to be enough for a, you know, four-year-old or five-year-old dog for the rest of his life or a six-year-old dog for the rest of his life? Um, I don't know. And, uh, and then, you know, then I feel badly. But we always can go back after we've done stem cells and do a hip replacement. So it's always that option. So on that particular dog where I looked at the x-ray, Larry, um, that one to me would be a great stem cell case. I, I just thought that that was a ideal stem cell case when I looked at it. But I was only seeing that one view, and I saw that you wrote hip dysplasia. So I was, um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't answer, and I was hoping you'd bring that up on this call because I was still thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> but uh, so my, thanks for bringing that up. Um, I, being mobile, my colleagues do my digital x-rays, and, and they they threw the hip dysplasia out. And when I looked at them, I, I, I agree. I, I thought the, the sockets were nice and deep and that we had degenerative disease. Um, I was, you know, I was, I was using what my colleagues had thrown out to him. All right, good. Yeah. As in, you and I agreed on that because that looked to me like a severe DJD case, and you know, because everything, yeah. nothing looked malformed, nothing looked, you know, shallow or anything like that. So I was, I was thinking, boy, that's a classic case for me to be using stem cells, and uh, that's okay. one that I would pick for somebody's first treat. You know, when colleagues call me, I always say, listen, trust me to do your first one. You know, I call it the Dr. Mike Challenge. I said, just trust me to do the first one. Trust me enough to do your first stem cell treatment. Then I want to talk to you in 30 days because I love having that conversation. I said, but just be sure that you do good case selection. I mean, if you, you can do your first one as a degenerative myelopathy, but don't judge stem cells on the outcome of degenerative myelopathy because we may not see a lot. But if you do a really good osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease case, um, 99% of the time, according to our last 155 cases, these animals are going to show some dramatic improvement. And that's the, um, and that's been my experience. That's been other vets' experiences around the country. So I really encourage people to do that, that challenge of one. And when I looked at that, that German Shepherd that you sent over those x-rays, I said, boy, there's a great first case for somebody. I know you've done some, but that's just a great first case. So I looked at that one. I said, you know, this would be one I'd love to see a colleague doing it that hasn't done it before because I would really expect a good response in that dog. Great. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you Thank for that you. question, Larry. Yes. Anybody else? Michaela, could you say that for me, please? Thank you. Okay, Thomas, you there? Yes, I am. Okay, any more questions right. come in? Any more questions at all for Dr. Mike before we move into the kind of second component of the uh, presentation itself? All right. Please. Feel free to, you know, type in questions as we go as well if you have any. I, I feel very badly. There was one that was sent to me, and I said, boy, that's a great – I thought, I think you forwarded it to me, TJ, last night. Um, no, yeah, I guess you read that first. As I say, there was one that I said, yeah, that would be a great one for the conversation. The inflammatory one, yeah. Right. Yeah, that was it. Um, so, so what we're going to do now is we're just kind of going to do a, a question and answer kind of open forum, and, you know, please – 
uh, I know Dr. Newland's on the line and, and, and Dr. Schneider as well. And, and um, please feel free to jump in and, and you know, take some of these questions as well. Um, going to just kind of start off, and you know, the first question that we have for you, Dr. Mike, is um, really back to when you first started. I guess one of the questions we get: What were the questions that you asked? first about stem cell therapy when this was presented to you when you were first learning about it and you're researching it what were you looking for in the veterinary setting and what questions were you asking well i, I think the the fair question that probably everybody asks i mean as far as veterinarian goes is um, is this safe you know is it, number one is it safe is it going to harm the animal you know we took an oath so we don't want to do any harm and so if i'm going to bring a new tool into my practice i want to know number one that it's safe and that there's um the risk reward or the, that ratio is favored highly on the reward side and not on the risk side. What I've come to conclude now is that um, that reward ratio is very high, that the risk, the side effect that, that I've seen, the only side effect I've seen is nothing happened. And so I used to call those failures. Now I call those three non-responders uh, because there's a lot of support in human literature that suggests that um, these aren't stem cell failures. The stem cells are doing something. We just are having a non-response to the condition that we thought we were treating, that we were sending those stem cells in to treat. So it's a, um, that was number one. What, what is the, um, is this safe? And then is there high hopes of high reward, which would be efficacy? And those answers are resounding yes. And, and uh, um, I used to tell people as I saw more and more cases and perform more and more cases, and now, you know, I'm up in that 500 area, I say to my colleagues, look, it's, you're going to be doing this. It's just a matter of when you want to do it. And, uh, and, and it's in people that are close to me. I always say, you know, heck, if you haven't done it, they were sending cases to me. I said, please come in. I'll show you how I'm doing it. Just, it's easy. This is literally easier than a spay. And, uh, and so as, as vets start doing it, it's really rewarding to have the conversations. But that was number one. That was it. Was it safe? And is it a chance of high reward? And, and that is absolutely yes. And those, that was the number one question I had. I guess the number two question I had is, when it's available, will it be affordable? And the good news is that it is affordable now. It's gotten cheaper because of MetaVet because we can do it in-house, and we still have the option to send it to the lab. And, uh, and, you know, is it something we can do without contamination? Is it there hasn't been reports of infections? There hasn't been reports of, of, uh, of problems. You know, the, the, the problems are always minimal. It's usually procedural um, issue somebody forgot something or 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 the like, but we're just having such good success with it in our field in the veterinary field that um, we're helping to push it for for humans. I actually got a line. I was answering some questions on animal stem cells for a human practitioner researcher that I met at one of the um, International Federation of Adipose Therapies and Science seminars. I was up in Quebec City back in uh, October this year, and I was at that IFATS. And, uh, and he had asked me a question about his own dog. And when I wrote to him, I said, look, I'm a veterinarian. You're asking me questions about humans I can't really answer. And, and, uh, and, and he wrote back and he says, well, as far as I'm concerned, you veterinarians, meaning our profession, is pushing this and helping facilitate the movement into humans because people are seeing the great response that these stem cells can have if used correctly. And uh, that's pretty neat and rewarding. Very neat, very neat. Um, next question that we have for you, Dr. Mike, is, and we have a list here of, of a few, and please feel free to, uh, to jump in. Um, back to the basics. So I know we have a good mixture of new clients and just starting off and, and people who are interested in modality. 
a common question that we get in the field, you know, how involved, I know you talk about it quite a bit, but how involved for a technician is stem cell therapy? You know, is it something that is exciting? Is it something that they, they enjoy doing? Is it something that is very difficult? Um, in my practice, I have four doctors, myself and three others, and I have um, two exam rooms, so all the vets out there can know I'm in a, a storefront in a Pittsburgh suburb um, that I leased the space. I haven't built my new clinic yet because when I moved here, I was new to the area, and this was about 12 years ago. I'd sold a practice that I had out in Long Island. And, uh, and so I started off in a small area, so I'm, I'm cr- crammed. We have 12 employees, and the technicians fight over who gets to do the stem cells. They all wanted to be certified in it. They all wanted to learn, and I was very, very particular and, uh, and, and you know, how we were training, which was very, very simple. But every technician in my practice and all of the practices that I went to, and I traveled with the CEO at the beginning at the uh, big launches of this back in 2010, this new technology, we were going into the state's first treatment, you know, the first in-house stem cell therapy in a state. And I would go out and, and uh, meet the technicians and the veterinarians and talk to them, present some slides, and uh, train their techs basically to do what we were doing. And, and I would always ask the technicians afterwards, is this easy? You know, was that easy? And they said, besides you breathing down my neck, yes. <laughs> Nobody said it was hard. When we were developing this technology, the cell biologist that was responsible for this said, Mike, do me a favor. Anything that a technician says is hard, please let me know because I can make it easier. So we did that at the beginning. That took from, I'd say, March of 2010 until they did their launch in August. And a few vets got a hold of this technology before that, but um, the main launch was in the end of August of 2010. And we took so many questions that the techs had saying, well, this was a little bit hard to understand, so it was rewarded. This was a little hard to do, so he came up with a better, you know, technique to make it easier for them. And it was just, and so it was refined and refined and refined. And at the end, the techs kept saying, quit asking me. It's easy. And so it, it really is a simple procedure. And my techs love it, and it really raises the morale in the practice. Um, regenerative medicine, when the people come in, they're almost always happy. And, uh, and, it's, and you know, what we've learned over the time, and my advice to my colleagues is that, um, and I, I always try to make this clear when I'm speaking to somebody, is that expectations are very important. We don't want people to have unrealistic expectations. So I'm very adamant about saying, listen, okay, we're going to do the stem cell treatment on your dog if we decided that was the case and the owners want to do it. And I'll say, now, this is what's going to happen. The questions I've asked you today, you know, is your dog having trouble going up and down the stairs, getting up and down to go to the bathroom or go outside, get in the car, get in the bed, whatever. If your dog's having that trouble, I'm going to ask you these same questions. How much pain is your dog in scale of one to, zero to five, five being severe? You know, and look at range of motion. I'll show them, you know, what we're doing. I'll say, look, your dog's having trouble extending his leg past here without turning and wanting to bite me or turning in because he's in pain. And uh, flexibility is not good. And I'll show them, and then and I'll tell them, in 30 days and 60 days when you come back, I'm going to look at these same parameters. This is what we're going to use to gauge how the dog's doing. So then their expectations are realistic, and it really makes it easy because 99% of these dogs respond. So instead of leaving it up to the owner where they've seen something on TV and they think their dog's going to be a puppy again, they have their 14-year-old dog with degenerative joint disease that couldn't get up. Yeah, it can get up now. Oh, yeah, it can go up the steps now. It couldn't a month ago. But I thought it was going to be a puppy doc, you know, and that's what I've had people say that to me. So I share that with my colleagues, and as long as you do that, it really becomes a very rewarding experience. I, I found out that, you know, the people's expectations are realistic, and I, and I think that's very important that we explain that 
um, thoroughly. And then the other thing is the go home to go home instructions. I think that's very important that we they have to get these dogs up. They have to move them. If they can't get them up, if it's a really debilitated dog, they have to do passive range of motion. And uh, it's very, very important to the recovery of these dogs is that they use these joints. And, uh, and so I think that those are just keys that I like to share with people and, uh, and, and giving advice to colleagues as far as, you know, what I do. And just to follow up on that point for some of the new clients that are on board with us, um, in terms of technician training, you know, when we do bring a new clinic on board, we do offer point-of-care training for sterility and uniformity purposes, but even so after the first training session. Um, our lab, we have a great lab staff. You can call them up at any time. You can schedule a WebEx webinar like one of these, and they can go through some of the tips and tricks um, if you're hiring on a new technician or if you're looking to incorporate a new technician to the procedure itself. So that's available to you. Just give us a call or, or shoot us an email. Um, Thanks, Dr. Mike. The, the next thing we have for you, um, as far as you know, branding a regenerative medicine clinic, I think that sometimes it's when people bring on stem cell therapy, they're so excited about stem cells and the kits themselves that sometimes we forget that we do have rich plasma kits as well. Can you talk about where you're finding use with PRP in your practice, um, you know, with this equipment and using PRP as an application, and how often you do it, really? Well, PR, the platelet-rich plasma, you know, that's part of our technology for activating the stem cells along with the photobiostimulation. But in its, and of itself, PRP is a good therapy to try as an anti-inflammatory therapy. I, you know, I don't want to call it a glorified Band-Aid because the University of Pittsburgh would like to shoot me when I say that because they really believe it has a lot of potential and there's a lot of human doctors that believe that. But they've been using it since the late 1800s, and that's a true fact. So it's not a new technology, the PRP. I love it. I love it for this reason, that when I have a stem cell case that's really severe and I'll tell people, look, I don't know how your dog's going to respond because it's, it's crossing over in its back legs, it has neurologic signs, and they want to do it anyways. And it also has pain from osteoarthritis. I did a boxer on Monday that we did a cancer screen on. We did a whole bunch of tests. The dog didn't have any uh, positive markers for cancer. It has uh, pain in its hips and its knees, um, effusion, degenerative joint disease and it's knuckling over and crossing over in its back legs. I told them, I don't believe that we're going to see a big change in the crossing over and, and possibly the knuckling from one stem cell treatment. And, uh, and so I said, I want you to be realistic. This is, I do expect to help the pain. I do expect to improve, and I was showing them in the room what I expected to, to see improvement on, but I don't want you to come back in 30 days and ask me to do this and then come back in 30 days and say, oh, my dog's not doing well because he's still stumbling because I'm telling you up front, um, I, I don't think one treatment is going to be enough. What we can do is we can come back and treat with some more doses of stem cells if you'd like. We could do a different protocol. That may help more, and I still can't guarantee that. Or um, alternatively, we could come back with PRP, um, you know, every other week for three or four treatments to see if we enhance benefit. The, there um, was some work on some uh, dogs that were traumatized. They had spinal cord uh, trauma and literally were treated with stem cells and shortly after the trauma, spinal cord, and were treated with series of PRP injections for, um, they were, I was told they were seven to 14 days apart for up to four injections. And they got dogs that had atonic bladders that were urinating again. Some of these dogs weren't treated until after six weeks. I don't know why. They weren't treated during the initial trauma other than shock therapy. These dogs were dragging their hind legs, have videos of them. They sent me the videos. 
and uh, and they you know these were very very intelligent people that were doing this. They knew what they were doing, and uh, and they were using PRP to follow up as an adjunct therapy. When I get an initial injury on in a dog, you know what the dog jumped off the porch and it's limping. Do I jump to stem cells? No. I talk to him about stem cells. I talk to him about all the options, the nutraceuticals, even the anti-inflammatory. And I tell them that some people are really opposed or their animal had a problem with an osteoidal, um, got sick, or had GI upset, whatever, and they don't want to use it. And I'll tell them, look, we have PRP available. I take a blood sample, explain it to them, give them light sedation, inject the joints. And I say, just like the injections they give in humans, they don't sedate us for that, but the dogs will move. We want to make sure it's an aseptic injection. And uh, so I use a lot of PRP. I love it. I love having these tools in my practice. I will say this, that I knew about PRP before stem cells, but I never used it as much as I do now. And the reason I'm using it a lot more now is because of MetaVet, you know, putting it in front of me, and, and, uh, and then it was, all right, let's do the research. I'm being asked to talk about this all over the world, and I want to make sure that I know all the applications for this before I go out and speak. And, uh, and the PRP is a great practice enhancement, and uh, you can have that as an individual procedure in your practice. You can even do that before the stem cell treatments. If they have a good response to PRP but it only lasts six to eight weeks, that's an almost guarantee, and I won't, you know, guarantee anything, but that's as close as I can get to guarantee that stem cells are going to work and uh, they're going to work well is if that PRP works and, and it doesn't go. Now, what if the PRP fails? Does that mean the stem cells will fail? No, but I can't, you know, I, I say that it's almost a guarantee when I see the PRP work that the stem cells are going to work. So it's pretty neat. I love the PRP. in a topical setting as well? Oh, absolutely. Wound treatment, um, you know, people say, well, you know, Mike, I heard you talk about using it for wound treatment, and that's pretty neat. I love, my favorite webinar to give is when I'm breaking out the new research, sharing the new research, because not everybody has time to go out and, and, and read this 24-7. And, and it's, so I like to bring what's going on to people, to our colleagues on this webinar. That's one of my favorite times. And one of the things I talk about is look what it's doing for wound therapy, these real recalcitrant wounds where they injected with stem cells along the periphery of the wound, and then they put a uh, wet wrap on with PRP and, and, and stem cells, and they activated with the PRP in the photobiosimulation, simulation, and they healed beautifully. And those, some of those wounds were compared to laser therapy. Some of those wounds were compared to other treatments, and the ones with stem cells did the best. The adipose stem cells did the best, which I do think is all in part to the anti-inflammatory effect, the microbicidal activity, the macrophages that are in that stromal vascular fraction to help to bride and clean up, and also the ability for vasculogenesis, the VGF that I was talking about, vascular endothelial growth factor, endothelial progenitor cells. All of those things enhance that wound repair. But PRP alone does that very well, too. So if you have a tough wound, it's a great remedy. It's very easy to do. You, can, you don't even have to use all of it at once. You can go ahead and freeze it in your... Uh, freezer and and uh, and thaw it and use it again and you know so you can pull some some uh, PRP from the dog get a high density get all the growth factors and you can refrigerate them if you're going to use them like every other day and change your bandage or you could uh, um, even freeze them and thaw them and come back and use them neat stuff thanks Dr Mike now jumping back to the stem cell side a common question that we get and from a a cost standpoint just to we typically don't talk about cost on this webinar, but just so everyone knows, our small, small animal kit is $595 per kit, um, and our large animal kit is $895. As Dr. Mike has you know, spoken about in the past, um, you can use the large animal kit on small animal cases. Dr. Mike, can you talk about 
I know you talked about it last webinar, but can you can you elaborate a little bit more on when you're using the large animal kit in the small animal model, or what we should probably label it as the 40 gram adipose tissue? Kit yeah, yeah. And I, what it is grams. is a more efficient way for us to take 40 grams of fat instead of 20 grams, so we get more bank doses. On um, the two cases I did yesterday, I got the report today on one of the dogs at seven years old, the boxer I told you about. I got eight bank doses, and on the other dog I did, I got seven bank doses. In each vial, and oh, this is one of the questions I got. Each vial, now this was done with, with advice from me. When I was using that stem, um, the, the original therapy, when they banked doses for them, they, we never knew how many cells were being banked. It was never revealed to us. I asked them uh, several times, never got information. I think that's because they didn't really know, and, and, uh, and when they thaw them, they lose a lot of the cells and, and uh, to the thaw. So it's a um, so I think they just stayed away from that because it was so variable. But one of the things that frustrated me is if I had a bilateral degenerative joint disease, I would have to pay for two doses. You know, I would ask for two doses, and I would have to pay for two doses to get them back. If I had four joints, I had to pay for four doses. Well, a lot of times I only had one or two bank doses or three bank doses, and so I, I couldn't do all four joints in an IV, for instance. What Medivet has done is I, I implored them at the beginning. They said, what do vets want? I said, look, we want things simple. I said, when you store the cells, don't store, you know, 10 million or 15 million or 20 million per vial. Put in enough so that we can treat all the joints and give an IV dose. So for most degenerative joint disease cases with two joints um, and an IV treatment along with it, that vial will easily treat that dog and, and uh, could do four joints too. You can even request that they put more cells into the vials before they freeze them. They'll count them, and they'll divvy them up as we request. But if you don't, the default is enough to do joints and IV. So I love that, and that was one thing that they obliged us veterinarians on, is that we can get a vial back, and we can treat that dog again. I don't have to get three vials to treat three joints. I can get one vial and treat three joints and get IV, which is very, very nice. So um, the large kits are nice when we bank those vials because we have more doses to give down the road because we've taken more fat. In my practice, I barely, very rarely now use a small, a small kit, you know, get 20 grams of fat, because we're banking on just about all the cases. The exception might be, and I don't even think I have a small kit in my practice right now. I was just looking the other day and have all large kits, and I was thinking, wow, we don't have a small kit here. If we get a small one, we're going to be spending more you know, we're going to have to take more than 20 grams and, and uh, use it all, I guess. But the um, we only need the 20 grams for the small kit. But the one I would use it on, probably the case that I would say the small kit would be fine on, would be that 15-, 16-year-old dog where we're doing the last resort and we want to give them all the cells anyways. You know, we just want to give them all those cells. Or, you know, we don't want to bank them because we don't know how long the dog's going to be along or the cat's going to be around. And, and uh, so I just do a small kit and I give them all. So those are the exceptions that I have, but pretty much all the vets in my practice recommend banking because it's so easy. It's not that much more expensive. We don't charge a whole lot for that um, on top of what we pay and uh, because it gives us that efficiency of doing the 40 grams instead of 20 grams, and uh, we pass that efficiency on to the owner. So that brings me to the next question, which we have very commonly. What, in your opinion, uh, in your area, is a fair charge for doing a, a recall injection, doing a let's say, bilateral hip dysplasia re-injection, whether it's 12 months down the road or whether it's six months down the road. Okay, um, you're, you're getting me a little off guard because I don't, I don't know any of the prices in my practice. So I do know this, that um, I think we charge, I don't know, what, what do you guys charge for, for us to retrieve a vial, to thaw one vial? That's and two, $200. 
two hundred dollars, and that includes the shipping. Uh, plus, I think thirty-five to fifty dollars shipping. Okay, so say it's two fifty. We charge four hundred for the bank uh, retrieval uh, fee, and so that covers that two fifty. And we, I guess, we make one hundred fifty on that if we're paying two fifty. And then I generally charge for the sedation if I have to do a, a you know, because half the time I'm not doing that for one to two years down the road unless I'm doing a protocol. And then I try to include that up front, what I'm going to charge for those reinjections if we're planning on them coming back. So I'll, I'll tell them, look, this is what we're going to charge for this up front, you know, so that they know. But if I'm doing an injection a year down the road, a uh, year and a half, two years down the road, I'm going to be doing a pre-anesthetic screen. I'm going to be looking at the, the dog again for cancer. Um, you know, it all depends on the age of the animal. So there are those um, revenue builders for the practice, which are very, very fair, and the owners give us great information to share with the owner. And then I charge for the um, sedation and then the injection. I don't charge $100 a joint to inject a joint, um, but I might charge $100 to inject four joints. And, yeah, I can do it in three minutes, so it's not, it's not a real difficult thing for me. But that's up to an individual, and I always tell owners I, a veterinarian can charge anything they want. I do a lot of media in the area. I'm called for radio interviews and TV interviews and the like, and they'll say, well, how come there's so so many discrepancies between what vets charge for, say, a surgery? And uh, and I always say the same thing. I said, look, I, you know, it's, it's all based on experience, what the overhead is, the quality. You know, I, I said, you just, unfortunately, um, you need to shop around if that's what you need to do. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for that bargain, you need to shop around. And I said, veterinarians can charge whatever they want. I said, I don't have any problems with that. And uh, so I never speak about what vets charge. Um, in my practice, I'll share what I charge with any colleague, and, and uh, we charge 1800 for the um, small animal treatment. That does not include the workup. The workup is additional. So the uh, and then we charge um, 2200 if we're doing the large kit, and that includes their first year banking, which is 150 dollars. So it's uh, we include that in that price, and so we're not making a lot of money on the large kit because we're paying an extra couple hundred dollars for it, I think, or um, what did you say? It was eight ninety five, and I don't know what the small kit mm-hmm. was. But five ninety five. So we're paying three hundred dollars. Uh, so I'm basically not making anything when I do that, but I'm getting more sales for the future, and it's future business too, and it's great for the animal, and I, to me that's a win win. So, and I'm right there, and it's easy. You know, it takes me five minutes longer to get forty grams as opposed to twenty grams. It's a pretty easy procedure. Great, thanks, Doctor Mike. For our new clients that are coming on, um, the banking program is all built externally to the client. Uh, it's all automated online. So as Dr. Mike mentioned there, it is $150 per year storage fee per the life of the animal. Then there is a, a recall fee as well. That can be found upon the www.medivetlabs.com website. Um, and, and I think every vet that has done repro work knows that that's the customary charge for frozen semen. There's recall charges for frozen semen there. That can get pretty expensive too. And uh, and so um, this is all in line with what's being charged um, for other similar um, cryo procedures. Yet I will say that the cryo technology that's being used for these stem cells is far superior to what they're using in the in the sperm. Um, from I have a lot of experience in the reproductive area as well, and it's okay if we get 25% death rate in uh, in a semen thaw because we have 75% viable sperm and it's not a problem with concentration. We only need, you know, one, two, three, four sperm to, um, you know, to implant in those, that, uh, those um, ovum. But my uh, point here is, is that the technology, the cryotechnology is incredible. It's cutting edge, state of the art, um, developed for these stem cells so that we have great viability when we thaw these cells. 
unparalleled in my opinion. I haven't seen anyone top it. And there were lots of trials, and I said, boy, we should be sitting right in there um, with them because they'd be talking about our product all the time. Dr. Bach, to follow up on the um, technician question, um, how long did it take for you to get your associates on board in your practice? How long? What did you do? Did you get them involved with the procedure to track the results? How did you get them, um, you know, really to offer stem cell therapy? Well, for the young veterinarians, it was easy. The young veterinarians, actually the young, I had one young veterinarian in my practice who was a recent grad, University of Pennsylvania, and, uh, and I just said, look, this is easier than a spay. And uh, I think you should do one. I'll watch you. And, and, uh, and it made him feel so good. You know, literally, it was just, it just made him feel real good. And, and, uh, and what better thing to do? And then he had a great response. He had a great case selection. So now, we're, you know, we're, we all talk about cases in my practice, and, and I hire that way. I like colleagues, and, and uh, you know, four minds are better than one. So we talk about x-rays. We talk about cases, stem cell cases. Um, every practitioner in my practice does them happily. Um, it's almost like we're fighting for time. And so it's a, uh, oh, no, I have two stem cell treatments on Tuesday. Well, so do I. Well, I'm doing mine in the morning. You're doing yours in the afternoon. So, and we have to make sure we get them done in time to send them down to get banked, you know, so that they go overnight. So that all of those things you have, we have to take into consideration. And, and uh, so local vets, uh, you know, have to think of those things. But as far as the um, getting them on board, it's just when we go to our lunches, um, my colleagues and I, I'm not talking about with the staff, when my colleagues and I go to lunches, we, we talk about all of this. We talk about, we share information, we share pearls, we share objections. We, you know, we, so we're, we're very, very open with each other about what we're doing. We all have to be on board when we bring therapies into practice or you're going to have, you know, chaos, and I, I don't like chaos. So um, I happen to work with colleagues that love regenerative medicine. They're very progressive, and I've been out 26 years, and one of my associates has been out 26 years. The other one's been out about six, and the other one's been out about three. And uh, everybody does stem cell in my practice happily. The techs, um, we decided which ones we wanted to teach. You know that you have highly skilled techs. I will say this. I have technicians that um, are just very, very, very good technicians. Technical skills are incredible, and, uh, and they find it incredibly easy. It's almost like running a Felux snap test. I'm not kidding. You know, they just find it very easy. Very easy process. They enjoy it as long as they have some, um, and it gives them a little bit of silence when they're doing it because we have rules in our practice, leave them alone when they're doing this. Let them focus on what they're doing. It's very important work. And the, uh, so they all fight who gets to do it. But then I have some techs that aren't so technical, but they're the greatest workers in the world. And they're very good at it too, and they love to do it. They're a little, they, they actually feel better doing it with me. And, uh, and why do I say that? Because I don't pick on them. I talk to them the whole time. I love this. I love what we're doing. We're high-fiving each other when we're walking by when we're doing stem cell therapy. I was just One of the technicians for me has probably done, I'm going to guess, 400 of them with me. And uh, of the ones I've done in my practice, she's probably, you know, the 500, she's done 400 with me. We still high-five after we're done. We still smile about what we're doing. It's really, really neat stuff. And, and uh, so I don't find it real hard to change. I think those are the best questions, though. And then staff training is, is very important. And use the tools that Medivac gives you. I was a hard head. I didn't do that. I, I just, I'm not the best marketer in the world. But I like to talk about um, stem cells with my clients and, and with the vets. So we were doing a good job. But use those tools. Put the, um, the brochures up and the pictures. Get people talking about them. Hand them out. Have your receptionist hand them out. Ask our doctor about stem cell. Put a pin on whatever. 
whatever you use in your practice, and and uh, and you'll find that you'll be doing a lot of them. You know, we have tons of cases in our practice. I have, I mean, every day I see cases that I could um, do stem cells on. Not that they're going to do them. And as we go, these intravenous applications, I think, are going to get um, better and better as far as what we're going to be able to treat, and uh, and that's real exciting. I know Dr. Um, Dr. Newland especially would echo that sentiment with uh, Theo as I've met her a number of times, and she seems to really enjoy doing it. Dr. Newland, are you on the line? He might just be on the online portion. Um, so we'll just kind of kind of wrap up here with this last slide, and this is something that we talk about each webinar. Um, you know, we've preached case selection, so where do we go for case selection? Well, these webinars each Wednesday, um, you know, feel free to email us prior, and we'll set up the question for Dr. Mike, either at info at medivet-america.com, or um, you can email them to our lab, medivetlabs, at uh, info at medivetlabs.com as well. I know, Dr. Mike, you provide your email address as well to your colleagues. Um, what is that email address that you can check? Uh, Dr. Mike at animalgeneral.net, just D-R-M-I-K-E at animalgeneral.net. And I ask you, if you're, if you're sending me emails, I, certainly and a lot of you know I'll answer emails, especially when you're doing a case tomorrow and you, know, you can't wait to the Wednesday webinar. But I ask you for that courtesy that if, you know, a lot of people say, oh, and if you, you know, here's, here's a question for next week's webinar. And then I list them or I send them on to TJ so I don't forget them. And, uh, and I, I'm really, really good about that. So um, a lot of times I just flag them in my email and I go through while I'm talking to you and read those questions right out. And it makes it easier for me because I guarantee if you have the questions, so do other vets, other colleagues have those questions. And I'm here to share. And, and certainly if you had an experience and I say something you disagree with, um, I don't pretend to be omniscient. I don't have a big ego at all. And, and I'm happy to, to discuss any case you have and, and give you my opinion as far as um, how I might handle it. And then uh, but certainly I don't, uh, I don't act like I'm, uh, I'm the guy that, that has every answer. I don't. And, uh, and I'm very well aware of that. So are my kids. My daughter's shaking her head yes. And uh, <laughs> at any rate, that's and we'll, the. Uh, we'll, I'm sorry. We'll finish up on this note, Dr. Mike. Um, I, you preach it very, very often, but you know, staying ahead of the curve and, and, and keeping up to date on, you know, what's coming out, whether it's through PubMed or, or searching those clinical trials. Talk about that. We'll, we'll wrap up after that. Okay. The um, clinical trials. What's coming up? We're working on Adipi um, very strongly right now. There was a, a board meeting held with some of the vets that do a lot of these around the country that were invited onto the stem cell board and talk about what's important for our practices. What diseases should we be looking at first? And I think we all have a feeling when you talk about, um, you know, chronic renal disease should be one of those. I think uh, um, Adipi is another one because we're seeing such dramatic responses in these animals. And, and uh, I shared I've, I've uh, shared pictures with a lot of people, a lot of colleagues, when they asked me about them before and afters, and it's a uh, and the owners. I mean, they they just make great stories. So we're doing a lot of work on these these intravenous treatments, also the immune mediated diseases like inflammatory bowel disease and and uh, other allergic diseases. We're looking at autoimmune diseases. We're looking at, and uh, of course you hear me talking about degenerative myelopathy. That's a passion of mine. Trying to find the best protocol. Um, I, I get all kinds of um, changes in these protocols, and I think what it is is somebody heard me say something partial about the protocol, because I generally won't talk about it on, on the webinar. You have to email me to get that, because anybody can listen in, and they've asked me not to do that. So I usually give that to you directly, but 
if you haven't, you know, done it in a while, please ask me what's the current protocol because it might have changed since the last time because, you know, a few vets in different parts of the country are seeing different results with different methods. And, uh, and one of the common questions, I just got this this week, somebody was saying I was told to give Marcane injections. Just so you know, that recommendation never came from me or Medivet. Marcane is actually an inhibitor of stem cell proliferation. Lidocaine is not. Marcane is. So, and there was a paper that was put out on that. So I don't recommend Marcane in any case. And, uh, and if you're getting results, well, you know, great, but I would stop the Marcane. I don't think the Marcane is giving you the results anyways. So the, uh, um, you know, that's just my two cents on if you're injecting. Um, I don't know why somebody told you to inject Marcane into joint if you're using stem cells. You don't need to and that could inhibit the proliferation of those stem cells. You'll still get an anti-inflammatory effect, but what we want is repair. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we want this to last a long time, and I think you may decrease how long it might last if you're adding marcaine to that mix. Um, and that's uh, very, very um, uh, educated advice, if you will, because they did some tests on marcaine. Very good. All right, well, we'll end things this evening. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mike. Thank you especially, um, you know, to Dr. Mike for being a part of these webinars each Wednesday evening and the Stem Cell Board as a whole for, you know, fielding these questions that we're getting um, from all these progressive practitioners out here. Um, next week we'll have a procedural overview uh, hosted by Dr. Mike where, where um, he'll be oh, going. I, Tom, I'm sorry. i got to jump in. I'm going to be on a plane to Dubai next Wednesday night, so I won't be available I'm glad you said that. I will be at the North American Veterinary Conference um, this weekend, and uh, I'm speaking Sunday night. Please, if you're down there, I already had uh, quite a few vets email me and say they're looking forward to seeing me or meeting me, and I, I look forward to seeing you too and talking to you and you know, bring your questions. I love to talk about this if you can't tell. But I won't be on this webinar next week. I'm sorry about that, Tom, so we might want to switch it up to one where um, uh, you know, that I won't be on. The following week, I'm not sure yet. I'll let you know that um, this weekend. It's because I'm not sure what my flight plans are. But if I'm available, I'll certainly be on. Sounds good. And just to follow up on that note, um, we will be recording all these, and these all will be available um, on the website as well. So whether we do it the following week or, or whatnot, we'll put it a part of the series. Um, as Dr. Mike said, we'll be speaking Sunday evening at the NAVC um, at the um, in, at the gate or at the Marriott, actually, Sunday night at 6 p.m. So. Um, if you'd like to come by, you know, please RSVP with us, info at medivet-america. You don't have to have a badge to get into the NAVC to get into the Dr. Mike presentation. So we'd love to see you there, and um, we will talk to everybody in two weeks. All right. Thank you very much, TJ. Thanks, Dr. Mike. Thank you, Dr. Mike.